You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. What's going on? Berto here. And Berto, we're back with another episode. What do you got for a topic for us today? I think we discussed this actually in the previous episode, didn't we? Yeah, we uh, we mentioned it. So today I just wanted to talk about uh, hustling. Uh, I said hustling in prison, but I think just hustling while being locked up uh, overall is is the is the theme because it, it starts the day you're not out and able to make money on your own. So I, th- I think I got a question right away before you even go into anything, because I think it's an important thing to know when you're in prison. What do you need money for? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> kind right. of a dumb question, but yeah. but it seems okay. like everything should be taken care of for you, right? Yeah, well, three hots and a cot is what they say. <laughs> but it, it's it's twofold. So um prison and jail are different. Um so jail, when you initially get, you know, anytime you catch a case, you end up in a county jail. Um, you know, that's like pre-trial stage. Anytime you're there. You know, money there is kind of like obviously like for the phone, you know, so you can call home, um, you know, in the county jail, you really need commissary for food. You know, I mean, like, you know, you need the food commissary. So you need money for that because the county jail food is the worst food you can possibly get, man. Like, it's terrible. And and I don't care. (laughs) I don't care what county jail you're in. Like some will say, yeah, this is better in here. That's that's, you know. It's you can you put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. So it, it's <laughs> no matter what, it's terrible. So those are two of the, the you know main things like phone and 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 um, you know and and food. And then you know there's probably some other things, but but those are the main things. And then carrying over to prison, you know, prison is more like your your home, so to speak. So prison, you know, you're gonna need like shoes and 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 clothes and you know, just normal things that you would buy and toiletries and, or, or, you know, whatever it is, cosmetic, cosmetics and, and things of that sort. So, uh, they differ. Um, but you definitely need money for both. Um, now, you know, both places, they have like what they call like an indigent package, right? The county jail is basically, you know, they give you a stamped envelope a week or something just so you can communicate with the outside world. And then, you know, um, you know, they give you like some, I think it was like Bob Barker or some, anybody that's been locked up knows it's like, it's like the worst, the cheapest, it, like you brush your teeth with the toothpaste and your, your, your breath still stinks and you, you wear the deodorant <laughs> and it's like, your, you know, deodorant is like, it's like worse wearing the deodorant than not wearing deodorant. So <laughs> like, it's, it's the worst. And then, and then obviously in, in prison, you're not quite as lucky as far as like, you don't get an indigent package, um, so to speak. But you get like uh, you can get like a a prison job and get, you know, whatever, 15 bucks a month or something. And that that'll take care of like your necessities, you know, like your hygiene and stuff like that. So so those are the main reasons you need money is basically just your your basic necessities. Right. Um, Because counting on the government or counting on the counties to take care of you is not Good. So I'll jump right. I'll, I'll kind of jump right into that unless you had something else you want to add. I do have another question just for a little clarification. You So you say that that you need it for commissary. So um, I'm going off my my military knowledge. And when I hear commissary, I think so. Is there a store within the prison that you're you can go to and purchase things? Is that 
what you mean by commissary? Yeah, com- commissary is is uh, so in the county jail they have like um, I think they're contracted to like different places depending on where you're at, and and so it's like a it's like a a place where you fill out a you you fill out your own commissary form, they send it out, whoever it is, they fill the orders and they bring it in. Um, now in prison, they, they actually have stores within units that you're in in prison, so you can actually go to the the store. Um, but usually designated, you know, one day a week and you go to the store. So yeah, it's, it's basically, it's basically a store. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, similarities from the military again, man. It's creepy. It's, yeah. It, it's, it is weird that the people that are fighting for our country are getting treated the same as the people that are, are destroying the country. Right. <laughs> Ironic, it's, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a twist. That's a twist of irony. So yeah. So, all right. So, you know, when you get locked up, man, anybody gets locked up, I guess I'll speak more on a, on a, on a higher level, like as far as like case wise, right? You get locked up on a bigger case. You know, you don't know when you're getting out kind of thing. You're, you're pre-trial. Um, this happens for a lot of guys. You know, some guys, they get these whatever overnight stays. They don't count, right? Even guys that, you know, six months counted. These, these aren't the guys I'm talking about. I'm talking about guys that are long-termers. You get indicted. You ain't got bail coming you're going to be what they call bidden, right? And that starts off in the county jail. Now, when you get into the county jail, first get there, yeah, everything is lovely, right? All the people that you were just out with, they're probably supportive, you know, and that'd be girls that you talk to, family that you talk to, whoever it is, they're probably supportive. Or even, you know, if you had money put away, right? But obviously over time, for some guys, if they had enough money over lawyer fees, you know, that well runs dry, so to speak. And so, you know, the, the money stops coming in and, 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 you know, obviously you start losing people. That's a whole different subject, but, but you, so a lot of people, they need to develop a hustle, man. They need to be able to support themselves. Some people don't care, but I was never one of those guys. My, my motivation was to always be self-sufficient. And so, you know, I started to try to develop my own niche in the County jail. It started off with just like, um, like doing lineups, um, for haircuts, like not actually cutting full hairs, but like, you know, lining guys up, just cleaning them up around, you know, uh, around the edges, so to speak. And, and so that was, that was my first initial hustle. And, and, and eventually it started growing into, to actually cutting hair in the County jail though, we were only allowed to Clippers once a month. So once a month, that hustle isn't that strong, you know, and in the County jail, it's not like, you know, all the people that are in the unit are even going to be there from month to month. Because like I said, some guys, a lot of guys are in and out, in and out. So that was, that was one of my, my go-to hustles, but, you know, day in, day out, you know, you can also find other hustles. Um, some that I did as well, which was like, you know, gambling, gambling is a big, big hustle in prison. It's like one of the biggest money makers. And, and the reason why is, is obviously probably the same reason it is in the street. It just, some people are gambling addicts and some people, most people are just looking for something to do when you're in prison. So like I did my best to try to always be involved in like the poker games, you know, and, and also, you know, in some form or fashion when it came to sports gambling. So with the poker games, it was kind of hit or miss. Cause you run into a lot of correction officers that, you know, didn't want you gambling on their shift. Some didn't care because they just knew a group of guys were over there being quiet and they didn't have to worry about them. But you know, when it came to the county jail, there wasn't as much money, I guess, floating around. 
you know, it, it was kind of like a tighter pocket. You know, it, you can only squeeze so much out of that table. Um, so it wasn't like you could take a cut of the table, meaning that guys put chips in, you take a cut of the table, and at the end of the at the end of the game, you get to keep whatever cut you took. You know, the reason why people do that or are able to do that is usually because they provide something to the game. Um, in the county jail, it's you're not really able to do that. Um, so it really comes down to you just sitting down and playing and being good at your craft and, and being a good gambler. So I, that one for me was a big gamble, but um, but I did it. My main when I played cards, my main uh, game that I like to play for money was spades because I felt like, yeah, it's a game of chance in the sense that if you're playing with a bunch of good players, it comes down to who gets the cards. But for the most part, you know, I felt like I was a, a higher level player, man. And you often don't get guys that are that um, high level of players, you know, guys just like to gamble. So that was one. And then obviously like sports betting. So like sports betting, the biggest thing is football. Football is always the moneymaker. In, in the county jail, it's different. You know, you're really not going to get as many like big bets. So and you're only going to get guys that are really interested in like, you know, the NFL when actuality college is actually the biggest moneymaker. But in the county jail, the NFL is probably the most watched. So like what I would do, man, is like I would have, you know, let's say I would run an NFL a pool. So, you know, a pool is just basically saying if I get 30 guys in the unit of 70 to get uh, one of my tickets. Right. And one of my tickets would be I put every NFL game on this ticket. Right. And as a consumer, you just circle who you think the winner is. Right. And then for the last game, you put a tiebreaker, meaning what you think the final score was going to be. And then it's real simple. Whoever has the most wins, they win the pot. So, you know, what I would do because I organized that and got people together to, to, to gamble on it is I would take a cut. So if I, if I got 30 people, I might take five bucks, you know? Um, so the pot would be $25. Or if I got 40 people, then I might take $10, you know, and the pot will be $30 and, and so on and so forth. Right. So for my efforts, basically I'm taking a cut and obviously I got the play as well too. So I also had the chance of actually winning the pot. So, you know, those are kind of like hustles that I did myself, you know, but, you know, there are so many different hustles, you know, just from the county jail level that guys do to survive, man. You want to talk about like drawing people draw, you know, that's always like a big hustle in, in, in jail or prison. For some reason, when guys go to jail, they think sending a jail, a jail picture drawn in pen or pencil is like going to melt some hearts. I mean, listen, <laughs> I, I fell victim myself, right? So, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of stuff around my house right now that I sent home and I'm like, what was I doing right there? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So, you know, drawing is a big thing. I mean, guys, I've seen the craziest things. I used to see a guy, um, he would literally make picture frames out of potato chip bags. And he was like, it was, I mean, it was kind of mind blowing how like good these things would come out. Like he could make uh, like a, a heart picture frame. I mean, just, you know, he was, it was really, a, I don't know. It was a skill because I, I can't even imagine, you know, crochet, people do crochet. Things. I've seen guys that make roses out of toilet paper. I mean, just, just limitless amounts of different little knacks that people have and, and they become hustles, man. And, and they, uh, they, they make money off of it. Things that I, I mean, I, they were a little above, you know, my skill level, but there was definitely almost anything you could think of that, you know, in that ballpark, 
you know, and even guys like, you know, some would tutor and, and help people. They didn't necessarily always charge, but if they put in enough man hours with somebody, you know, they might ask for something, especially if somebody that was hurting and, and they're helping somebody who actually had stuff, you know. Uh, so so those are the county jail ones. And I was in the county jail for four and a half years. Um, so, you know, it's not like you're going to make a bunch of money or, or stack a bunch of money or anything like that. But you make enough to survive. You make enough to survive on. And, and ultimately, the county jail, once you're there for that long, that's what it's about. It's about survival. Um, and I would, assume, I would, oh, sorry. I would assume no, I, on, on the county jail side, the turnover of people is going to be huge, right? Like, yeah. because people are going to be constantly going in and out. So like when you're getting involved in like sports betting and stuff, does that, I mean, did it feel like, I, I just feel like you said, well, if I got 40 people signed up for something, I would get $10 or $20 or whatever it was. And so I mean, was it like starting over every week almost because because yeah. so many people would leave pretty much? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So when you say you got 40 people signed up, that's for that day. Like, obviously, you're not doing it a week in advance or, or you know, two weeks in advance. You're doing it for that day. Like, literally, that Sunday morning, like, I'm passing out a ticket to all the guys. And if they want to play, then they then they come and, and they bring me whatever item they're willing to put up. Yeah, it's it changes. The turnover is is, you know, crazy in the county jail, you know. So, yeah, it's and that's that's why, you know, you can't run like a a, a wholesale, um, so to speak, uh, a football ticket. And I'll explain that because it's different in prison. But but yeah, in the county jail, it's it's day to day. Right. Because, I mean, I guess it could happen. But, you know, somebody who bets on a Sunday football game on Sunday, I mean, they're probably not going to leave during the game. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're at least having that day. So you ain't got to worry about like there being some uproar about this guy leaving or, you know, this guy didn't pay or whatever it is. Like it's literally that day, you know, you're just, you know, that's there's no outstanding debts or anything like that. So so when you're when you're doing like a like a uh, NFL bet ticket, let's just say what what made it that you could run these? Because I would just envision this doesn't sound like it would be that hard to do. So I, in my, my mind, it would be like every prisoner would be trying to start a NFL ticket for the week. Right. That, to the point where it would be hard almost to get a lot of people signed up because wouldn't they all just be trying to do it? Or, right. Okay. So, so like in the, okay, so we're still in the county jail at this point, right? We haven't, yeah. we haven't, we haven't stepped up. Believe it or not, man, a lot of people are just lazy um, and it takes, it takes initiative and it actually takes time to sit down and write out, you know, on a piece of paper, each individual ticket, you're writing all these games out, you're writing out the point spread, and then and then ultimately going around and being a salesman and getting people to buy in. You know, you got a lot of introverts that's, you know, maybe a quarter of the unit, right? That just don't want to talk to people. And then you got, you know, another quarter unit that's that's just lazy. And then another quarter unit that doesn't have money. And then that leaves another quarter that, you know, yeah, maybe you'll have another guy trying to run it, but you know, um, if I if there was another guy trying to run it, like I would play his and he would play mine, right? So it's not like it's not like you run into as much competition as you would think. Yeah, that's kind of well. I guess actually that does make sense because just just the laziness factor is probably going to eliminate eighty percent of the people, <laughs> and then yeah, and then I'm sure yeah, there's sure. people that that are only there for they know they're there for a very short period of time, so they're just putting their head down and not even 
worrying about anything. There's probably people that are just set and they don't need money. So why are they going to mess around with trying to make money? And right. Stuff and, like and then, you know what, to a certain extent, right? Like, and this is not uh, by any means trying to like, you know, uh, big myself up, but it takes a certain type of personality and a certain type of, I guess, bravado to be that kind of like ring bearer, so to speak, to, to be able to hold, you know, this, this, I guess the the betting capital, and to be able to to have like a dominant presence presence. I want I want to say, you know, like you're in these county jails. There's a lot of believe it or not, even though they're criminals, there's a lot of passive people, especially in the county. Okay, let me let me rephrase that. In the county jail I was in, there was a lot of passive people, you know, and you got like guys that probably might be their first time in jail. You got drunk drivers. It's not like I was in there with a bunch of hardened criminals. You know, these mm-hmm. are county jail inmates are different than prisoners, man. Like. You know, there's a there's a there's a big step, you know, that guys take going from a county jail stay to time in prison. So, you know, it takes a different kind of, I guess, uh, you know, personality to 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 take on, you know, even though it's a small task, just something that requires that much responsibility. And and I assume that in your situation, even though you were in county jail at this time, you knew you were going to be in some sort of jail prison for a while. So you were probably (laughs) more, (laughs) more prone to like, okay, what, what am I going to be doing? Because I know I'm going to be in this lifestyle for a little bit. So you were more prone to jump on things like that than maybe a drunk driver would be or something. Right. Right. No, for sure. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say I was that, I guess I didn't have that much foresight. You know, I was kind of living in the moment, but just the, the 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 day in day out week in week out grind that it is to be in jail um, gambling is is also like a getaway you know it's like a it, it's like something that takes you away from you know your actual problems every 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 day if that makes sense mm-hmm. so okay. so yeah that's okay. county jail man now now prison prison is a different story now, prison is a different story on a lot of different levels, right? You know, I think it's well documented. I wasn't in a normal, quote unquote, prison, so to speak. I wasn't in, you know, a, a, a mainline atmosphere. And I can imagine in those atmospheres, there's even what I'm about to tell you on a grander scale. Um, and so you start off with the fact that in prison, you're going to be dealing with a lot of guys that have money. Uh, especially federal prison. I'm talking about federal prison because, you know, I don't know how it is in the state. I've never been to the Department of Corrections in Wisconsin. But in the federal, on the federal side, you're going to run into a lot of guys that have money. Um, and then, and like I said, in the federal prison also, you know, almost everybody is is uh, awarded a job. Um, so people make money, you know, doing cleaning the microwaves. You know, they might make 40 bucks a month. So there's mm-hmm. money in prison. In prison, there's money floating around. Um, so that's that's one big difference. Uh, and then and then obviously to take a step further, obviously prison, you're going to be seeing guys a lot more frequently, right? The same guys. These guys are going to be around for a long time. You know what I mean? People are doing they're doing bids. So um, you're dealing with the same kind of people. Uh, so you know a lot of times when there's money in a unit, and, and now I'm, now I'm getting more personal. When there's money in a unit, it's usually there for a while. You know, I think I mentioned before I was with uh, one of the twins who helped to, you know, bring down El Chapo, good friend of mine. Um, you know, I was with one of the Colombian drug lords, uh, Chupeta, 
and and so these guys, you know, Chipeta was literally a billionaire with billionaire. a B, and, <laughs> and, right? And so and so the mere fact that they were in my unit, the unit is going to be flooded with money. It's it, they made the economy go, and what I mean by that is they are basically employing people mm-hmm. um, to make their own stay comfortable. You know, they're buying food from the kitchen. They have people working for them, like, you know, doing their laundry, cleaning their rooms and all that money that's being pushed out. You know, those guys don't just keep it to themselves. Those guys are gamblers. Those guys, you know, they spend the money. So that's just a little bit of insight on how money is different in in prison. Okay, so now when it comes to the hustles, um, you know, cutting hair, right? The money is better in prison. And it's more consistent because guys want weekly haircuts. Don't ask me why. Not everybody gets visits every week, but guys want it. So, you know, like me, when I came in and I became a barber, um, not only was I getting paid from the unit to cut hair, you know, I was getting $40 a month. Now I'm charging each individual who wants like special haircuts, you know, I charge them $10 a month. So, you know, basically $2 or whatever, $250 per week to cut their hair. You know, now the guys that couldn't afford it, yeah, I, I cut their hair, but you know, they're getting. I'm gonna give you one all the way around, man. I'm gonna do. We're gonna make this real simple, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, no, no extra, no extra, extra treatment. And the reason why I did that, man, to be honest, is because, like I said, everybody had some kind of money. Now, it, and now, if I know, like I wasn't a dirtbag. Like if I know this guy wasn't getting money sent in from the street, right? But I know he works. I'm not going to charge him the ten dollars I charge everybody else. I might say, "Man, give me four dollars. I'll cut your hair once a week." Or you know what I mean? Like you know, something like that, something light. But at least make the effort to show me, like you know, you're not just trying to, you're not just trying to shit on me because you know I have to cut your hair because I work in the barbershop. So that was my main. That was my my first go to hustle was cutting hair, and that took care of me. And I was with I was with my brother and my half brother, and so you know, like we always had what we needed as far as like food and and cosmetics and they had their own jobs too. So, you know, we were always like, okay, you know, we were never struggling. I never had to ask anybody in my family for money. You know, I didn't like the idea of it. I always wanted to be self-sufficient. So that was my number one go-to. Now, once you start bidding, you start to, you start to get involved in prison life. Like when I first got to, to the unit, to the prison unit, like obviously it's completely different from the county jail. So I was like living like you're like, wow, like this is a normal like I got normal shoes, normal clothes, you know, like you you got a lot of free movement. You know, obviously you're locked, you're locked in, in within confines of a of a certain area. But in county jail, you're locked in, locked out, locked in, locked out. It's not like that in prison, you know, and you're you're moving around. It's not like you always got eyes on you. Like it's there's one guard to control the whole unit. And so um, I say that because. I got wrapped up and, you know, I was doing dumb stuff. You know, I, I drank, you know, I was drinking every now and then, you know, I was, you know, I smoked a couple of times, you know, I was gambling myself, you know, a guy had a football ticket and, and this is kind of how my journey started. So a guy had a football ticket and I was gambling with him, gambling with him and I'm losing money, right? Because the house mm-hmm. always wins. Yeah. You might win one weekend, right? And you hit big and you think you're the, you're a guru, football guru. You can bet every game, you know, but it doesn't work like that. The next week you're going to get smacked. Like that's just the way mm. it goes. So right. that's how my journey started. I was gambling with him, gambling with him. And then, and so I got to a point, right. Where I remember I had, I had, uh, I was down to this guy, you know, a couple hundred dollars and I'm like, man, 
like, what am I doing? Like, I'm hustling backwards. This is what I thought in my head. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah, like I'm, like I'm hustling. Oh, I'm going to the poker table. I'm losing money at the poker table. Yeah, sometimes I win, but sometimes I lose. Um, and in prison, guys ain't playing spades. It's different. I don't know. It's weird. It's the weirdest thing. Where I was at, they weren't playing spades. So, like, I'm playing poker. I'm losing money there. So, it's like, that's my that's my mind. I thought. I was like, man, I'm hustling backwards. Like, I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busting my ass, cutting hair, and and, you know, and then I'm just spending the money somewhere else with somebody else. And so I started thinking in my head, like, man, how can I get as much money as I can from this unit? Like, that's what I thought. How can I start getting as much money as I can from this unit? It wasn't even about, like, the big picture. It was just about right there at that time. And so, you know, I remember the dude, the the, the guy that, that I owed the money to, you know, obviously I paid him and I went to him. And I, and I remember I was just finishing up paying him. And um, he's an old Italian dude. He had He was a bookie in the street. And I told him, I said, hey, his name was John. I said, hey, John. I said, man, can you teach me how to be a bookie? And he said, he said, sure. He's like, sure, buddy. He's like, uh, have a seat. And and so he literally started taking me through the steps of what it took to be a bookie. Now, for those that don't know, right, a bookie and running a football ticket consists of such, right? And that's why I say college football is the biggest moneymaker because college football has games on on Saturday from the moment you wake up till midnight, so you go to sleep. So guys are literally chasing scores and betting on games all day. Like that's the biggest money maker. And then you got college games sometimes on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Wednesdays. Like it's literally once football season comes on, it's the best time of the year. So he started he started explaining to me, okay, listen, this is what it is. You know, with college, you can you can kind of you can kind of move the lines like this. And he would tell me, listen, I get the paper every day and I write down the line for every game. And then as the week goes on, I see how the line spreads. The, the point spreads move up or move down. And then when it comes time for games, the main thing I do is I consider my betters. I look at my lines and I consider who my betters are. And what he meant by that is a lot of people like to bet favorites. You know, they see a point spread and they want to take the favorite. And so he was like, when you know that, you can kind of move the line a little bit. In college, you can kind of give yourself a couple more points, give yourself, you know, a little bit of a protection. Because you got to remember, at the end of the day, it's you against basically everybody in the unit because they get to pick whoever they want, you know. Mm-hmm. And so so he started explaining that to me. He said, now the NFL is a little more tricky. NFL, you got to stick to what Vegas puts. He's like, you might not agree with the line, but that's why you're a bookie and not a better because betters always lose. They might win once, but overall, he was like, in the end, you're always going to win every year, man. He was like, so the main thing is just have a nice bank, uh, you know, so you can cover your bets, but it, but just remember that it's all going to come back to you. And so, you know, he's explaining to me, he's like, listen, I'll sit with you until I leave and, and I'll help you. And and the guy really put me on a lot of game, man, because I'm telling you that from that moment on, that literally funded not just the rest of my bid, but I mean, I was able to like send money home. Like I was able to buy things while I was in prison. I'm talking about clothes and shoes and gifts for my wife and, you know, and, and all kinds of things, man. So so that that was a big tipping point in my life. Well, I was going to I'm curious. Do you think you would have ever been able to do this without him teaching you? Like, do you think this is something you would have just figured out eventually? Or was it the fact that he sat down and showed you everything that made you succeed? No, for sure. I would have been able to figure it out. But I would have took a lot more hits and I would have had a lot more bumps and bruises because the thing about 
that kind of gambling is that you're the bookie, right? And like I just said, it's you against everybody else in the unit. So there's literally groups of guys that get together before games and they're like, man, who you like? Well, who you like? Well, who you like? And they like confer with each other. And it's it's the blind leading the blind. So trust me, because I used to be in those circles. And and so, it, you know, nobody knows what the hell they're talking about, but everybody thinks there does. And then finally, when he's like, I got a lock, everybody goes with him. And now, you know, you might have 10 bets on one team and it's you against those 10 bets. And if that one team wins, guess what? Like you're out a lot of money. So you have to be strategic and smart in how you move the point spreads and how you move the lines, because if you aren't, you could get killed. You know, like you could lose so much money at a really, really short period of time. And if you don't have enough bank to cover those bets or sustain that hit, then your run as a bookie is going to be really short. Interesting. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, so, so now I, I'm also curious, and this goes back to the haircutting thing too. Well, first of all, in prison, is technically gambling, is it allowed? Or <laughs> no. no? Okay. <laughs> no, that, no. I, yeah. Like I didn't know. Like, no, so, no. so it's completely not allowed, but a lot of the, even though the guards knew it was going on, it's just one of those things that they look the other way for the most part on. Well, it's I guess one of those things. It's one of those things like, how do you stop it? Unless yeah. like literally, I mean, it's happened before where like, you know, guys will go and tip off the guards and tip off like the, the unit manager and be like, hey, this guy's the bookie. And and if that bookie's not smart and the guards run in their room and they find 150 books of stamps, like obviously you're going to get charged. You're going to get a ticket for it. You're going to get in trouble for it, you know, because, you know, in, in federal prison, stamps is usually the currency. Um, mm-hmm. Because because it's small and 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 because it's it's expensive, you know, as far as a whole book of stamps, you know, so mm-hmm. it has it has it's it's weighty. Right. So, you know, like that's when you have a house. Right. When that's why I say when you have a bank, my bank was was stamps, you know, and even though it's stamps, they always translate into money any way you want it to. So, you know, like, let's just say I had a really great gambler. Right. First of all, I started off with maybe like 20 books of stamps. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and eventually, you know, I had close to 500 books of stamps and I kept 500 books of stamps every year. Now, that's just what I kept. But that's not what I ended up with. That's just what I kept just in case these guys started betting big on me, you know, but that, you know, I made way more than that. Right. And so stamps, I think when I was there, it got up to like, I think the most it got up to was like nine fifty or ten dollars a book. Right. So that's from the store. Now, each individual can only buy three books per, per week from the store. That's the rule. And that's to eliminate like the gambling and stuff like that. But it doesn't. Right. Because there's always books for sale, uh, what we call on the street. Right. Now, when we say on the street, that means another inmate's got them. And mm-hmm. now they're not going to sell them to you at ten dollars a piece. They might sell them to you wholesale for like seven fifty. So if I buy twenty books from them, you know, whatever, I might I might get them for you know one hundred fifty bucks, you know, for twenty books, right? Opposed to two hundred dollars from the store, you know, and then not being able to get them all at one time, you know. So so, but that was my point is that you always transfer currency. So let's say I got a really good better that I know I work with him all the time, and he comes and he lost twenty books to me, right? And and he says, hey, uh, Berto, sell me some books back. I'll say, okay, I might sell, I might sell them 10 of the books back, you know, at 750. And now 
he's got to give me that $75 from, from the store, from commissary, or better get it to my account, you know, because that's ultimately where you want it. You want the money on your account because you never want to have to spend your own money. And also commissary in-house money, you know, I had enough of that. I had all that from, from cutting hair and, you know, like I didn't need the in-house money. I wanted it on my, on my books. I want it on my account. So, so that's how it transfers. That's how you, it's a progression, you know? And, and, um, you know, it's funny because the stamps are usually the currency. So there was one time where <laughs> I had a guy, he was a big better. He's one of my big betters. I can't even remember why he got, he got frustrated. He got frustrated with uh, uh, some bets he made, right? He, he, he probably lost, I think he lost like 25 books on a Saturday, you know, just betting, making bets, making bets, making bets. Hmm. And so he didn't have any more books left. So what he started doing was bringing um, bottles of head and shoulders. And, and so, okay, so there's, there's two different kinds of, this is going to sound weird, but just stay with me for a second. So there's two different kinds of commissary that you can buy in, in prison, right? So you have your, your $360 that you can spend per month, and that's like food and all this stuff. And then they have what they call over-the-counter medication, which is like you could buy at any time and there's no limit to it. And that's usually like aspirin, you know, copy cards. Um, at this point, head and shoulders qualified as that because it was technically medicated shampoo. So it's basically things that are like, you know, to help you get better. Like if you're sick and you can buy whatever, you know, cough drops, these are over-the-counter medication. So, so he was buying those because he didn't have to spend his money at the, at the, at the regular store because there's no limit to them. You can buy them whenever you want. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so this, this dude accumulated, put it like this, by the end of the football season that year, I had like 45 bottles of head and shoulders <laughs> shampoo right in the bottom of my locker, you know, and I don't even have hair. Like, you know, I got, I got a little bit of hair. Like I, you know what I'm saying? Like, so needless to say these, and these bottles of shampoo head and shoulders is pretty, you know, it's pretty prestigious. Like, yeah, like head and shoulders is pretty good. It's like $7 and 50 cents a bottle. Man, by the time end of the year, man, I'm selling these things for two dollars. But I just want to get rid of them. <laughs> Give me two dollars, you can have a buy. Guys were in there cleaning floors with head and shoulders, like it, it was crazy. So I ended up making a rule that after that year, you couldn't you couldn't bet anything that was over the counter, um, considered over the counter. Um, it either had to come off your limit or it had to be stamps. Um, and, and so because guys don't have to necessarily bet stamps, they can bring ten dollars in food and put a bet in. You know what I mean? I, I you know, money was money. Um, but just that over-counter stuff, I stopped, you know, because guys even started getting petty. They're bringing like vitamins because vitamins are over the counter, <laughs> you know, just dumb stuff, man. And I have like a gang of this stuff in my room that I'm never going to use. You know what I'm saying? And they're, they're like expensive, like a multivite. I think a pack of multivitamins is like $8 or something like that, or, you know, something like that. So yeah. So, so, you know, that's how currency goes. So, but, um, go you, ahead. Had, you had talked about how you had gotten to the point where you had made, uh, you were making enough money that you were actually sending money home. And maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but so okay. We're, we're, we'll just simplify it and we'll say the currency is stamps. So as you're doing these gamblings, you're ending up with books and books and books of stamps, right? Right. How, what's the, because pro- I'm assuming based on what you're telling me, it sounds like there's no actual money, money in prison, right? Other than in your account for the, like the commentary or what. Am I right, right, right yeah, on that? Right. So yeah, how, no, 100%. Do you, 
how do you take, okay, I have 500 books of stamps. I only need 50 of them. How do I take that, those stamps and convert it to currency that you could send it home? Because I'm assuming you weren't mailing them a bunch of books of stamps. No, 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 I wasn't. That's a good question. That's a good question. So how do you liquidate? All right. So yeah. here's, here's the part that um, the, the guys in prison might get mad at me about. But, you know, it happens and you can't stop it anyway. Right. So here, here's, here's what I would do. And, and here's what guys do. The number one and easiest way is, is through visitation. Okay. So if somebody's getting a visit, because you can't, at least in the units I was in, you can't freely um, say, all right, call your family and tell them to put that. Because let's just say I wanted to sell 100 books, right? I sell 100 books at $7 a piece. Because once you get up, obviously it's like anything. The higher the numbers get up, the cheaper the wholesale price gets, right? So let's just say I, I sell 100 books at $6 a piece or seven or $6 a piece, right? So um, $600. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, he can't get on the phone and say, Hey, send $600 to this account or, or to this guy's name. Um, uh, because it's weird. The way it's set up is they don't actually send money to our prison, to the federal prison. They actually send it to a federal lockbox That's in Iowa. That's where everybody in federal prison, that's where their money goes to is to Iowa. And then they have a database. Everybody has a prison account that they can go on a computer and see how much money they have. So that's how it works. But, but they can't physically get on the phone and say, Hey, Send six hundred dollars to this name. Make a money order out to this name because we'll both go to the hole. You can't, you know, you can't do that. That's that's against the rules. So okay. the 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 most convenient way to do it is through visitation because okay. visitation there's really no risk because I can go out there and I used to go out there. But let's just say this isn't this is before I started getting visits all the time. So so somebody else will go out there, right? Let's just say it's somebody I knew. This is what you're hoping. You're hoping it's somebody you know. And so you get together with the guy that owes you and you say, okay, what number is your wife or whatever? And then you write down the name. Okay, he's going to give you, okay, this is my wife. Her name is uh, Martha, whatever the hell. And and so you go to the guy that you know that's getting a visit and you say, okay, listen, can your, can your family do this for me? Call Martha and tell her that such and such said to send $600 to this make out a money order and, and to this name and send it to, to Iowa for me. That's the easiest way to do it. And then whoever goes out to the visit, they, they get their family to do it. You know, within a week or so, the money hits your account. You know where the $600 came from. All right, you guys, your debt's clean. That's the, that's the, that's the easy way to do it, you know, is through visitation. Um, and then obviously once, like for me, you know, getting a little ahead of myself, but once I got to Minnesota, I got to visit every week. So I was able to do that and it was never a problem. I was getting money whenever I wanted it. Um, but that's in the future. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So so that's that's the easy way, right? Now, the hard way, the more riskier way, but a way that's doable is you got to kind of be savvy on the phone because they listen to the phone calls. And mm-hmm. if they hear you exchanging any type of name, any type of information, because basically in, in, in federal prison, you're a number, man. You're a number. Yeah, I might be able to relate, but I'm a number. Ultimately, I'm a number. You know, that's what everybody has. And I think that's even in a state prison, you're a number because I still know my state number too from when I was in juvenile. But but you're a number. So if you're if they hear you giving off any type of number or anything like that, you're in trouble. But if you have a way of talking in code to the people that you can trust and that can get things done for you, then you could do it. Now, 
it's a little more risky and I really rarely um, allowed people to do that for me because, you know, I didn't want to get in trouble, but it's doable. It happens. Um, so the, the, the easiest way and my most common way was was through visitation. Okay. So I just want to make sure I understand this, right? So basically, okay, so I'm prisoner A. I have all the stamps. Prisoner B wants to buy the stamps. So you right. give the stamps to prisoner B. Prisoner B then has to have a family member get a check or whatever, write it out to you, to prisoner A, and have them send it in basically to whatever however they send in money to your commissary account. Is that yeah, essentially to, to, how it works? Yeah, to Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow, that's like yep. a quite a system to have to work around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's 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 a stone age, but you're not going anywhere. So it's like yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't matter. You know, as long as the money gets there, you, you don't care, man. You know and, and, and I suppose at a certain point in time it just becomes like second nature jumping yeah. through all these hoops hoops to make yeah and then and then once it's once it's done once it's so much easier because that person keeps that information you know what i'm saying yeah. like you know you know whoever it is like i say it's martha and and john you know john's always going to be able to tell her hey remember you know send my cousin that money send my cousin such and such that money you know he might give me a a fake name send my 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 cousin that money you know uh $500 and now there's no way they could ever put two and two together because the information is already to her. She already has it. So there's no, there's no risk there. You see what I'm saying? He's not exposing my name and my number. She already has it yeah. because we already did the hard part. And, and that goes on for all the people that I'm having do that. You see what I'm saying? Once you do it once, the risk is kind of alleviated. So then you can say it over the phone without having to get a visit because you don't have to exchange. You don't have to give out a whole name or a whole number. You know, they already have the information that's needed. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh, it's worth it, though, once you get it, you know, because. Yeah, I mean, once yeah, you got money. the system down, I mean, it sounds like you, well, like you said, you were sending money home, which I'm assuming right. not a normal prisoner would would be doing for the most part. Right, so. right. So so we'll, we'll get into a little more of that. Um, and I, let me just run through, I'll, I'll run through some more hustles that, uh, as far as prison goes. We kind of got hung up on that. But it, uh, in prison... You're you have a lot more access. Like I said, it's it's your home. Prison is your home. It's it's not like a it's not a temporary place like the county jail. So you have a lot more access to different kinds of things. And what I mean by that is like guys that draw in, let's say, the county jail are using a pen or a pencil in prison. You're drawing with anything. Yeah, you can draw with a pen or a pencil, but you can airbrush. You can do charcoal. You can do oil pastels. You know, you can do regular painting. You got all kinds of different ways that you can draw. So if you're really an artist, you can you can you can make money from that, like real money in prison. It's different. It's not ten dollars for a portrait like it is in a county jail. And in in prison, you know, guys are making real money and and like you know, surviving off of it. A hundred dollar portrait, you know, things like that. Um, obviously, a lot of those guys are the tattoo artists. They make money off of tattoos. Um, yeah, that's a that's a booming industry in there, right? Uh, um, so obvious <laughs> question I gotta ask here: Are for that guy for somebody to give you a tattoo in prison? Is that allowed, or is that gotta be <laughs> no, done? No. On, okay, <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. not definitely okay, not, definitely okay. Not. Um, so so yeah, that's that's a that's a big money maker is drawing, um, but they have other things. They have other niche things like guys do leather. 
they make leather handbags and and uh, leather backpacks and you know all I mean I don't know maybe some titty tassels I don't know you know whatever you want to make it for leather they do it right guys used to make ceramics cups and you know all kinds of things uh, to send home and they would charge for them um, so you know those those are like big big ticket um, items that you know that people pay for. And then the smaller hustles are like the in-house hustles, right? So guys that clean rooms, there's there's usually this there's, there's a usually a lot of competition in that area, right? Because there's a lot of guys that um, that try to get try to get jobs cleaning rooms, and and it, it just comes down to who you're you're more you're more cool with that you would like. Me, I had a guy that cleaned my room, but I I uh, like I cleaned my room throughout the week, and then he would just do one big clean on the weekend. You know, mm-hmm. like that. So, like, I clean my room, clean my room up daily. But then on the weekend, I would have him come in. He would scrub it. And what I did is we just did a, a hustle exchange. So I would cut his hair once a week. He would clean my room once a week. You know, so so that's the thing. You got guys that do laundry. You know, and the guys that do the guys that do laundry, and not every prison is the same. But where I was at, you had to do your own laundry. So th- this is the first place I was at. You had to do your own laundry. So that, you know, obviously they would come and get your laundry maybe twice a week. They would go, they would wash it, dry it. You know, you provide the soap, they fold your clothes, they bring it back to you. You know, you ain't got to worry about doing laundry. Um, that was a hustle um, for now. You get into the guys I was telling you about, like, like Chupeta and, 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 and my guy, Pete, one of the twins, you know, simple stuff like going and getting ice, go get me ice or cooking meals for them or, you know, like cooking meals with commissary food is what I'm talking about. Um, you know, those are more, those are more of the pricier. I never got up. I was never that kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? I, I warm up my own noodles, you know what I mean? But, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, what, I mean, I'm just being funny, but because, because there was really a lot that you could do with prison food. I mean, you know, you get sausages and, you know, like I said, these guys buy food from the kitchen too. So it, it wasn't always just as plain Jane as people think. Um, but yeah, so, so th- those kind of jobs, like more in-house jobs, um, they were more for, you know, I mean, for lack of a better term, they were like the workers, you know, guys were, they were just workers, man. And, and, uh, and accredited them, you know, no, 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 you know, respect, no knock on them. You know, they were just trying to make a living and, and, uh, and doing what they had to do to survive. So, yeah. So those are, those are kind of like the main jobs that are, that are in-house. Um, another hustle that I had, man, um, like I said, I knew these guys that, uh, that were really, really making money. And so naturally I was, I was lucky enough to, to be a good barber. You know, I, I really got, I really got good at cutting hair, even to a point where I started like practicing designs and just doing crazy things with the Clippers. And I got pretty good, you know, like putting football logos in guys' heads and, and <laughs> nice. things like that. Yeah. So I got, I got pretty good. And, and so, um, you know, barber t- barbershop talk is the same in prison as it is in the street, right? That's where you get all the gossip. Mm-hmm. And so you, you build relationships with guys, man. And, um, and and I ended up building a relationship with the guy Chupeta. Like I said, man, one of the sweetest guys you ever meet. Like this dude, you would never know this dude had a billion dollars. If I mean, obviously, you know, obviously, you would kind of know because of how you know he's changed his clothes two, three times a day, and he was dressed. You know, you would tell that way. But I'm saying his his demeanor and his personality, extremely humble. Always said hi to everybody. Like never had a bad day. It was really crazy. Super intelligent. Guy learned English in like six months. Um, but I, I used to cut his hair. And so, you know, I built a relationship with him and, and, you know, with, with, with my friend P, you know, him and his brother, 
they grew up in Chicago and their older brother happened to be a king. So they knew about a lot about the Latin Kings and they had history there. And and so we had some some, you know, some common ground and we ended up being uh, uh, real close. And, you know, they knew my half brother from being in prison with him in another place. And and so building relationships, with these guys, like I said earlier, you are allotted three hundred sixty dollars a month to spend. That's mm-hmm. it. Right. And you get a revalidation date is what they call it. So every month, like mine was a 10th. So every month on the 10th, I would revalidate. I'd be able to spend a new $360. Now, like I said, my goal and everything I was doing was to never spend money on my account. So all the, all the, like I would survive off all the in-house stuff I was making, you know, cutting hair and even the the football ticket. And so I never want to spend my money. So by, by not spending my money, I was never using my account balance. So what I would do is I started to sell my account, meaning that, you know, these guys, you got to remember these, these, these guys that got, and and it was more than just them two guys that had money. I'm just giving them two as an example, but guys like that, that had money, right? Like I said, they have a bunch of these guys on the payroll, so they have to pay them once a month. You know, you got to pay this guy and pay that guy and pay that guy. And before you know it, it cuts into their $360 that they could spend, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're not, they don't, just because they have these guys working for them, it doesn't mean that they trust them to try to get money to send to their account, you know? So they would usually deal with people they could trust. Well, you know, the benefit I had is I built a rapport with them. I talked to these guys a lot and I, I, you know, I was a trustworthy guy, man. I kept, you know, with the exception of my brother and, you know, I usually kept to myself, kept quiet. I was, you know, a man and had respect. And so they trusted me, man. And so I started doing business with them to where, I would sell them my account once a month, right? 360 and they would give me $100 for it. I mean, it seemed like a good deal to me. I was never using my account anyway. So I was basically getting the $300 every month. You know what I mean? And, and not from both of them, not from both of them, from one or the other, because obviously, you know, you only get $360. And you were basically, you weren't using this account because anything you wanted from the commissary, you were what? Just trading somebody stamps basically to get the items or... Whatever. Yeah, well, like I said, anything I needed from commissary, I was getting from cutting hair, you know what I mean? From the $10 list that I was handing out to guys that I was cutting their hair once a month or mm-hmm. from gamblers, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. I got I got 500 books of stamps at any time, you know, if I needed it. You know, uh, I sell these guys 10 books of stamps, say, hey, go get me $100 worth of stuff, whatever, you know? And so, um, yeah, I never needed my account, man. I got to a point. I got to a point where I never needed my account. It, it wasn't always like that. You know, I, I built that up time in, man, time in. And, and so, uh, you know, that's kind of where I got to a comfort zone and that's where I really got, I was able to save money. And then eventually I ended up moving to another prison. Um, and so you know, I split up with my brother. Our plan was to end up in the same prison together. It didn't end up happening. And I ended up in Minnesota. And, but once I got to Minnesota, um, there wasn't quite the level of guys like, you know, Chupeta and, and P. Uh, you know, over there, but there was a lot more, it wasn't as many big fish, but there was a lot more medium fish, if that makes sense. So, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot more guys that still had money. And, and so, um, you know, I ran the same thing. I ran the football ticket almost as soon as I got there. And over there, the money was different. It started being a lot more, a lot heavier betters. And so that's when I really started accumulating money, man. And I'm talking about you know, any on and any every year, almost every year, I was making anywhere between three and five thousand dollars. You know, what I mean, I, I probably made six thousand dollars. You know, maybe one or two years, 
Um, so it, it was it was consistent. And I'm not, I'm not talking about I'm talking about take home money. I'm not talking about like I didn't even I'm not even counting the money that I made in the unit, you know, like like the commissary and buying and week to week stuff like that was a given. I'm talking about the money I was able to send home or the money I was able to That's- spend on myself. You know what I'm saying? So. So, yeah, it, it got really big over there. And then over there, um, I did get one big fish um, and that was Ismael Zambada. El Mayo, one of the founders of the Senior Lowell Cartel, his youngest son came, um, Seraphine. And he was like, he was a good friend of mine. We worked out together. Super good guy. And so, um, yeah, he I would sell him my same deal that I did over there. I would sell him my, my commissary limit. You know, it was really convenient. Like I said, once I got over there, because I went on a visit every week. So every single week, you know, I could say, hey, uh, call this person, tell them, such and such said to send me this money, give them my inmate number and I should get the money. You know what I'm saying? Or if I didn't need it on my account, I would just say, tell them to give you the money because then I could just tell my wife, all right, you keep the money. And then she put it away from me. Or if she needed it, go ahead and spend it. You know, like whatever, like it's free money in my mind. And so, um, yeah, man, I started to really to accumulate a nice amount of money over there, man. And uh, and so it, it was easier living. You know, and I didn't, I, you know, I can't, I won't proclaim like to say that I had the foresight to know that it was going to be that great. It just kind of happened. And then once it started happening, then you start thinking about the bigger picture, right? Then you start thinking like, okay, well, maybe I could put this money away or I can do this or, you know, and, and so, um, you know, I tried, I tried my hand. I even tried to invest a little bit of money, you know, and, and, and I made a little bit of money, nothing major, but, but, you know, those kind of things happen more often than you would think. I actually know a guy personally who, um, you know, he was a little bit smarter than I was, faster than I was. But to be fair, he did a lot more time than I did. So so hit this guy I'm talking about, you know, this is before, like, I guess the units got clamped down, so to speak. And, and even though it seemed a little loosey-goosey as to what I'm explaining because of how gambling was, it used to be even more wide open in these units. And guys used to be able to do even more extravagant things and, and some of it illegal all the way, you know, some of it like, you know, when I say illegal, I mean like even selling drugs or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, but this guy was actually selling tobacco and he literally, he ended up making like $5,000, $6,000. And then he, you know, he actually made like closer to 10, but the, the five or the six, he just took and he put into a mutual fund. And the guy literally right now, I mean, his mutual fund, when I left him, I think I left him in 2019, his mutual fund was at like $36,000, you know, because, because he had been in prison and he just let it accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And so, you know, he literally, you know, he did a smart thing. He put his money in and, and it, you know, and it, and it's probably, you know, I don't know what the economy right now, maybe yeah. it dipped a little bit. Yeah, it's probably but, down in the twenties right now. <laughs> but, yeah. but the principle, you know, yeah. the the idea was there, right? So yeah. and 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 it's and it's true because I had a couple occasions where I actually um I went I got into that endeavor by almost by mistake though it wasn't intentional. So um and by endeavor I mean selling tobacco. So when I got to uh, Minnesota and this is throughout every federal prison they have. They re- really are strong on the right to religion. So in every federal prison, there are Native Americans or even people that profess to be Native Americans. And they are allowed to have a pipe ceremony. And with a pipe ceremony, they get 
to have access to tobacco. And so depending on where you're at, usually the chaplain just watches you, right? Like you pass the pipe around within your ceremony. I mean, they're allowed to do a sweat lodge and stuff like that too. But with regards to this regards to this conversation, it's about the pipe ceremony. And I say that because usually the chaplain just watches them smoke. And then once the tobacco has gone, then they, he takes the pipe and he goes. Mm-hmm. Well, when I got to Minnesota, man, they were really, really loose with it. And there was like a big native guy who was like, you know, the leader, I guess, of this ceremony. You know, they had a sweat lodge there. And it just so happened that I was I ended up being friends with the the uh, the native guy because he was really good friends with my cousin who had been in that prison before. So, you know, when I came in, he's like, hey, man, whatever you need. He's like, matter of fact, here. And he gave me like an ounce of tobacco. And like, I didn't know what the hell to do with it. Right. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't smoke. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, just sell it, you know, get on your feet. He didn't know that I already had money and I was making money, but I, I understood the gesture. So I took it, you know what I mean? Of course I'm like, okay. You know? And so when I got there, I also had another friend there, my guy Toot, who I mentioned all the time. He's in a lot of my stories. He was actually there. And so Toot's like, bro, you can sell that man. And I'm like, cool. He's I'm like, well, how much do I sell it for? And he's like, well, talk to this guy over here. He he buys the tobacco all the time. So I talked to the dude and I'm like, well, I'm like, you want to buy some of this? He's like, yeah, sure. He's like, what you want? So he's like, uh, or he's like, how many roll-ups you, how many roll-ups you going to sell? And I was like, roll-ups. I was like, I don't know. I, I, I'll give you five. Right. So he's talking about joints. Right. So he's like, he's like, all right, I, I'll give you a list. Or he was like, I'll, I'll go to the store for you. Just give me a list. Right. And so um, I come back and he was like, or, or he comes back to me and he's like, uh, matter of fact, just give me a list for $15. Right. So I'm like, so I start doing the math and I gave him like three little pinner joints, right? <laughs> so I'm like, $3 for one of these little joints? Like this is, I mean, I had, I feel like I had, you know, endless amounts of tobacco. It was only an ounce, <laughs> but for three joints. And I can, I, I, I'm telling you, I think I made like $1,500 off of that <laughs> ounce. Off that one? Off one. of that ounce. Yeah, off that one ounce of, of, of tobacco. And then I got it one other time and then he tried to give it to me again. And I was like, I'm good, bro. Like, go ahead, take care of the guys. You know what I'm saying? Because there was other guys that were in his circle, you know, that were kind of jealous, I guess, because I had just got there and he's kind of looking out for me. It was, it was on the strength of my cousin, right? He was looking out for me, but, but, um, yeah, so I did it like twice. Yeah. I think I made $1,500 the first time. And the second time I I probably only made like $500 because I started like just being stupid with it and just giving it away. Cause I didn't, I didn't want to have it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I didn't want to have like have it on me and, and kind of circling back to when I was talking about, you know, guys getting raided and getting caught with all those books of stamps. So I never kept the books of stamps in my room, right? Like I was smarter than that. So I would like, I would have, you know, five, six guys who I was cool with and be like, here, you hold 10 books of stamps, you hold 10 books. And then I would have hiding spots and I put 50 books of stamps over here and 50 books. You know what I mean? Like I was never going to get caught with it on myself. If I lost, you know, 50 books because somebody got lucky and found it, you know, so be it. But it would never happen because I was like really, really uh, particular in where I would put it. And and so, uh, yeah, but that's kind of how it was with the with the tobacco. I was a little more nervous with tobacco. Like, man, I, I don't want to get caught with this stuff. So I started like giving it away and being done with it. And, and that was the end of that. But yeah, man, so the hustles are real in 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 prison, man. And they go on and on. And if you're smart enough in federal prison, you could walk out of there with some money. So... I'm just curious because everything I've asked about so far, you said, oh, yeah, that's not allowed. That's not allowed. So, like, how much of this economy that the whole prison system has going on is actually allowed? Like, for instance, if you would have gotten caught with the when you were doing the haircuts and you were charging additional to certain people, 
Could you have gotten tr- in trouble for doing that? Or was that acceptable to do? No, for sure. They would have took my job. They would have fired me. And they would have given me a shot, which is a ticket, which is, you know, a write-up, basically. Um, for what? I don't know. I wouldn't have been able to. I, I can't recite it off the top of my head. But it would have been some sort of shot. Everything of what I'm telling you was not allowed. None, what you none allowed, of it. Listen, what you were allowed to do was go to work, work and make your $40, yes, basically. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> work your job and that's it. That's what you got. And that goes all the way down the line, what I'm talking about. You're not allowed to clean nobody else's room. Now, those kind of things, they, they look the other way on, like cleaning somebody else's room or doing somebody else's laundry. They kind of accepted those prison hustles. The gambling and, you know, oh, I didn't even mention the poker table. I ran the poker table in prison. Um, that was another hustle I picked up. Um, I just started running a poker table um, because I, I think I mentioned this story before when I was talking about Sammy the Bull. You know, guys, guys would get fed up coming to a poker table and somebody's running the poker table game. Right. And when I be running the game, meaning that they're the ones taking a cut from the table and they would come to the table and the cards wouldn't be new or you know, the person running the game never brought nothing to the table. See, like me, when I ran my poker table, I made sure my cards were always new. You know, I always had two brand new decks of cards in circulation. I always, you know, at least once a week, I would bring like chips or soda to the table for the guys, you know, so you make them feel they're spending their money. Like guys are losing money, guys are winning money, but guys are losing money ultimately because I'm taking money out the pot after every hand. You know, and I would clear at the end of the night, maybe like twenty, thirty dollars just for doing nothing. So why not, you know, once a week buy a five dollar case of soda or, you know, what I'm saying some chips or, you know, always make sure I got brand new cards. Like it was free money, literally just to supervise the game, you know, make sure there was no there was no, you know, no bullshit in the game, man. And so, yeah, I even did that, man. My, my brother did that with me as well. Um, so, yeah, that's that's another hustle guys do that as well. You know what I mean? And, and there was a bunch of different people that, that ran the poker game, um, while I was there. And so that, that's one of them competitive ones, but ultimately it comes down to whoever's got the better game. Like guys can be like, yo, Berto over there, man, he got, he get you sold once a week, man. He's got new cards. Like, you want to go sit down at this table over here? We're playing with these raggedy ass cards from last week. Like that's how guys are, man. <laughs> like guys, they team up and then wherever one goes, the other goes. And then ultimately wherever the money goes, everybody chases it. You know, so if there's a big, you know, a big money guy on my table, everybody's going to come and try to chase his money. That's just how it goes, man. It's 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 not a it's not no slime ball stuff. It's just it's just prison politics. It's just the way it goes. So now with with like sports betting, I can see how you could be doing this under the radar. So nobody knows that you're actually doing sports betting. But with a poker table, it's going to be very obvious when a bunch of guys are sitting around playing poker. So was it just a matter of you had to know which guards were okay with this right right to yeah do, so to do that's it that's a it's a good point it's a good point and and the answer to that is yes so we never played poker during the day because that's when the uh big wigs were always you know in the unit you had the unit manager you had the case manager you had you know the secretary and people like that that would randomly pop in the unit and you know kind of check in on guys but at night second shift it's one guard you know, so as long as the guard was cool, which, you know, most of the time they were, you know, because it's just guys up there playing cards as far as they're concerned and they don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There are cameras in the unit. So sometimes they would, you know, 
you know, there'd be a reckoning. Hey, we see you on camera. You guys see you guys playing cards. You'd have to stop. And we'd stop for like a week or two and then we'd open it back up, you know, <laughs> but you know, the, and the advantage that, that we had too in, in, in prison is that un, unlike the County jail, the guards, once they're assigned to your unit in prison, they're usually there for three to six months, you know, in the, in the County jail, you get a new guy every day. You can get a different guy every day. So you're dealing with Jekyll and Hyde, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and you know, one cop might be okay and the next cop might not be. So yeah, in prison is different, man. Like I said, it's your home. So guards, they don't want to disrupt the flow because they don't want to have to do work anyway. As long as they're not fighting or fucking is what they would say. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They would usually let it go. So, you know, they're, they're, you know, every now and then you get a guard. Yeah, you can't. So like, you know, you mentioned tattooing. Right. So tattooing, obviously, it has to be done. Usually there's a lookout, but it's usually done. Um, so the way our rooms are set up, it's like a regular you know, metal door and there's like a little small skinny window. So we would just cover our window like we were using the bathroom and, you know, people be in there tattooing. Now, most guards are OK with that. They'll just walk by when they're doing their rounds every 30 minutes. Most guards don't do rounds every 30 minutes. They're going by every every hour or two. But you're supposed to be every 30 minutes. If they see the, you know, what we call a shit sign up, you know, a little toilet paper flag, mm-hmm. waving the white flag, they would just keep moving. Now, some would pop the door open and try to, you know, try to be dicks. And, and that's how some guys got caught. But for the most part, it, you know, that's just how prison is, man. It's, it's you know, they they only want to do their job when they absolutely have to, man. Unless somebody's yeah. in danger, you know what I mean? Or somebody's going to get hurt, you know, you know, or somebody's like obviously drunk in the unit. You know, man, listen, man, you want to talk about some drunk. We used to have some drunk nights, man, where there'd be like 10, 12 of us drunk, you know, in the unit. And so trust me, I mean, that's a whole nother story. Right. But but, you know, the, the guards, for the most part, man, they just they they just trying to they're trying to get home to their families. Yeah. And it, as long as it's peaceful, they're happy with that. Basically, exactly. Right? You know, exactly. It's interesting. I feel like this episode could have been done over a span of like 10 episodes. Cause I feel like we could talk about this all day. Cause I, I don't know. I find this whole underground economy within a prison, extremely <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> like, yeah, know? we, I mean, we definitely could have delved into each individual uh, thing a little bit deeper. And, and, you know, I mean, we probably could have probably could have even, you know, drummed up some stories, but you know, there's always a there's always a future time, and and I'm sure guys maybe maybe some guys will have questions, and and I'm sure guys will probably have comments. You know, prison guys they might have something to say, and 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 I'm sure they can add to what I'm saying. Yeah, it it's a fascinating topic, man. <laughs> like definitely, like, definitely, like you've really opened my eyes to just how much goes, how much is going on within a prison. I guess is the way I, best way I can say it. So. So, yep. um, is there anything else you want to add into this before we wrap this episode up or? Well, I mean, I see we ran pretty long, so I, I'll, I'll hold whatever I got and, <laughs> and we, we come back to it at some point. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll have another episode or two, um, talking about some prison stuff. So uh, I'll hold it back. Cool. All right. Well, then I think we'll wrap this episode up. Um, As usual, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player, as well as if you do have questions, comments, uh, fun stories about the things you used to do when you were in prison for a job, uh, you can send those over to normalizedcrime at gmail.com. Otherwise, we will, or Berto, do you have a topic for the next episode? 
in mind? Yes, or? yes, yes. Next week, man, we're gonna we're gonna cover the topic that you wanted to cover. It was a good idea you brought up. Um, you you mentioned to me what did I think that I would have needed um, in order to transition successfully from prison to society. Um, obviously, my story thus far has been a success, and I've had you know a lot of help, like with my wife, but. What I would have needed if I was coming home without any of that, you know, and and so I, I did a little bit of a little bit of digging and, and kind of thinking about, you know, how it was getting out and how it is probably is for guys. And, and I think we can we can kind of cover that next week. Super cool. That'll be a very awesome episode. So so everybody stay tuned for that. Otherwise, we will. Well, we'll be back next week with that episode. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Normalized Crime. Stay tuned for the next episode.